Well, good morning, High Point. Um, in case you wondered, Pastor David has shrunk, and yeah. <laughs> oh, he's taking a much-needed break. But I'm glad you're here, and he's given me the opportunity of sharing God's word this morning. I have been thoroughly enjoying the, the series of messages on Acts that he's been sharing. But there's something that's visible in the book of Acts that you see from one end to the other. And in every particular message he's been sharing, you see it in there. And yet the word that I'm going to use this morning does not occur in the book of Acts. You just see it portrayed. It's the word fervent or intensity or what makes you hot. You know, I've always thought it'd be kind of fun to build a pulpit and a church that, that has little buttons on the pulpit. So when you come in first thing in the morning, you sit in the back pew where everybody sits. And then when it's full, it moves you to the front. <laughs> and the next one pops up. But an advantage of that would also be like if I looked over here and, and see uh, my son-in-law dozing off, I could count, you know, row two, seat three. <laughs> Wake him up. I don't think I could get away with that. But in a larger sense, I can push buttons up here. I could stand here today and, and, and push a button that would make some people react. Because it comes from their passion, where their heart is. Now, you may not be affected by that, but the next person, I could push a didn't button. Well, there again, those things are what we call passions. That's a picture of what being fervent is all about. See, passion or to be hot, uh, be hot about something is the meanings of an English word that only occurs nine times in our Bible. The word fervent is only nine times in the New Testament. Now, it uses three different Greek words to get there, but that word in seven times, it speaks about people. The other two times, it's talking about the fervent heat at the end of the world, Okay. But in those seven times, there are some things that we need to look at this morning that I want to share with you. How does the word fervent relate to us? How does it translate into daily life? Now, as I mentioned, you don't see it in the book of Acts as a word, but you see it in everything they did. I thought Pastor Anthony was going to preach my sermon for a little while this morning. <laughs> because the excitement, the fervor, the passion that you see in the book of Acts is to be in each and every one of us. Now, there'll be some scripture verses up here from time to time, and you can look them up later, or I can give them to you later if you want them. But the first word we're going to look at is the word fervent in prayer. To be fervent in prayer. Now, you can read about that in James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul wrote, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. So be fervent in prayer. One of the words that's translated from the Greek into the English is the word uh, energeo, which is where we get our word energy from. 
And so the idea is something that's causing you to be active, causing you to do something, to be mighty in something. The other word means to literally struggle and to fight for a prize. So fervent prayer, fervent prayer, that's extraordinary prayer. An extraordinary prayer, an effort is being put forth involving the heart and the soul and the very being of mind. <clears throat> you know, when your heart's breaking, when your world is collapsing around you, when there's nothing you can do, it's amazing how fervent our prayers become. You fall on your face and you cry out to God with everything within you. And sometimes you just can't even voice those words. It's just your heart crying. Amazingly fervent prayer. But is that really reserved for those times? Shouldn't that be more like ordinary prayer? When we're seeking God in his face and what he wants to do in, in our hearts that should be the ordinary way we cry out to God with everything within us. Searching for his plan and his purpose. Some of the most fervent prayers I've ever heard were from people you would not suspect. Sometimes you walk into a darkened sanctuary. And even here it's happened. And you'll find someone crying out to God with an intensity within them. Sometimes it's, we're guilty of judging a fervent prayer by how loud or how long or how spiritually sounding it is. And that's the way we have a tendency to measure it. But I learned something many years ago. I'm getting old so I can say many years ago now. I was standing in a prison a maximum minimum security prison in Idaho. And I was there to teach a seminar for, for prison fellowship. And they had brought together the inmates who desired to come. There were a hundred inmates in that room. And they'd been taking prayer requests from these inmates. Now their prayer requests resemble your prayer requests somewhat. You can always tell when an inmate begins to grow in the Lord. When they first get saved, it's God give me. But as they grow in the Lord, suddenly their prayer becomes, God, give them. But these prayer requests had gone on for about five minutes, and they asked one of the inmates to please lead in prayer. <clears throat> and so I, in my normal pastoral self, bowed my head, closed my eyes, and about jumped out of my skin. Because <laughs> his prayer went like this. Hey, God, we got a problem down here. Tell you what, that's the most passionate prayer I'd heard in a long time. It wasn't eloquent, but it was from his very core. And I believe God heard that prayer. God heard that prayer from his heart. See, it's really a fervent prayer. It's all about how close and intimate the relationship is that you have. You know, I speak differently to my wife than, than anybody else because we have this relationship been going on for many years now. And we have this relationship. She often knows what I'm going to say before I say it. Anybody else have that problem? <laughs> but that only comes 
the closeness of relationship. And fervent prayer is the same way. Matthew Henry, a well-known Bible commentator of years gone by, I love the Matthew Henry commentary, and he says, it's not enough to say a prayer. We must pray a prayer. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, just be sure and say a prayer for me. That's not enough. Praying comes from your very being. Mind, body, soul, and spirit. Crying out to God. That's fervent prayer. Those are the prayers that are effective. See, fervent prayer could perhaps be defined as to know what you need and hang on. Hang on till you've got it. But let me finish it. Know what you need and hang on as if your life depends upon it. Sometimes our lives and other people's lives depend upon those prayers. There's been times over the years I've been awful glad somebody was praying for me. But you know, one of the most powerful prayers I can remember ever praying was simply, oh Jesus. And God did a miracle. He spun us completely around in the middle of the road and we went against the mountain instead of in the canyon. It isn't all about what you can say. It's your heart. So how do we become fervent in prayer? Well, there's an altar in a church in Vermont that many years ago we were there and I was kneeling down and praying before church. And that altar had carved into it it says, have you prayed about that need? So the first thing, if you're going to be fervent in prayer, is to realize there is a need. And the greater the need, the more fervent our prayer should be. But you know, the prayer that it takes to heal a common cold is really not any different than the, the prayer you would pray for cancer. It's just that in our mind, it moves us further. So how do we become fervent in prayer? Well, spend time with the Lord. Spend time with him. I told you that fervent prayer depends upon that close relationship that you have. So when you spend time with the Lord in his word and in worship. See, in the word, you're reading his word, you're studying his word. His word is speaking to you. But in worship, you open your heart to just simply hear from him. So if you want to develop a fervency in prayer, spend time with the Lord. David had been guilty of judging, of counting the, the number of Israel. And God had told him not to. Anybody here ever do anything God told you not to? The only problem was that David... The results were very evident because the plague began to sweep through the country and one by one people were dying because of his sin. And he began to cry out, God, it's not right. Take me, judge me, not them. And he was directed to go to the threshing floor and offer a sacrifice, build an altar and offer a sacrifice before God. So he went to the threshing floor. He found a man plowing with his oxen. He said, I want to buy this fleshing, the, the threshing floor and I want to buy your oxen. And the man said, oh no, take it. take it. You have all of these. Do it, please. David then said something that has rang in my mind and my spirit for decades. 
He said, I refuse to offer to God what costs me nothing. All too often, our prayers cost us nothing. But when you and I begin to spend time in the presence of a living God, we begin to listen to his word and listen to the spirit, we begin to pay a price. But fervent prayer comes at a price. Again, it's not what you say. It's where it's coming from. In the book of Acts, you don't find that word fervent. But look at the lives they were living. It was very evident. Our prayers can be no less. The third thing is, if you want to develop fervent prayer, is to open your eyes to the community around you. As Christians, sometimes we become what referred to as tunnel vision. We're looking to God, and we're so focused that we barely see what's on each side of us. But the church has a purpose in this world. See, prayer is what can change our world. Prayer is what can change the course of battles that are being fought today. Prayer is what can change the enemy's heart. And prayer can grant victory in the face of defeats when we call out to him. There's an old, old hymn, and some of you are older than me will remember this hymn. They're lost and undone without God or his son. See, we live in a world that your fervent prayer can make a difference. God is still in the business of saving people. Some of you don't sound very sure. <laughs> Let me try this again. God is still in the business of saving people. That's better. But he does it through people. Rarely does he do it through an angel. He can and he has. But he usually comes from the fervent prayer of a person crying out to God for their lost neighbor and listening to God. So the first word that occurs is fervent in prayer. Now, the second way this word is used in scripture is to be fervent in service. Now, as I read this, you're going to say, wait a minute. It says be fervent in something else before you get there. Romans chapter 12, it says, not lacking in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Acts chapter 18, verse 25, it does have that word once in the book of Acts. I'd forgot about it. This man has been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only, knew only the baptism of John. Fervent. In service. Now, the reason I said fervent in, in service instead of fervent in spirit is because if you're fervent in spirit, it's going to make you fervent in service. It has to have an outlet. Now, the word that's used there is different than the other. So it's the word zeo, and it's, it means to be hot, as in boiling of a liquid, or to glow with a solid. So the word fervent literally means to be passionate or to be hot about something. What are you passionate about? What really 
creates that passion within you. Some people is food. Some people is family. Some people is the word of God and their relationship to God. Years ago, we were given uh, tickets to, to a, an Oregon Ducks football game. 60,000 people in that stadium. The noise was incredible. It hurt your, it hurt your very ears. And the loudest one was sitting behind me. <laughs> now, he was a friend of mine. And I didn't think anything about it because that man is passionate about everything. He's a home missions evangelist, a campus missionary. But he, you could hear him above the whole roar. But I couldn't help but wonder, because this was on a Saturday, I couldn't help but wonder, number one, could any of them talk the next day? But number two, how many of them went to church and had some in their heart passion in their heart for that see there's a direct connection between being fervent in spirit and service to God both these verses you see that connection to there to serve God and his kingdom see fervent in spirit must find an outlet if your heart is on fire your heart is boiling hot your spirit is boiling up it has to have an outlet It has to have a cause. So the action to go forth. It dictates involvement. When your heart is on fire and is boiling within you, it dictates you do something. See, there's a direct connection between the fervency in spirit and the effectiveness of the service as well. When you're fervent in your heart towards the Lord Jesus Christ, your effectiveness in the kingdom of God is multiplied over and over again. The fervency of the spirit will carry through the actions that you do. You're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for him. And it dictates that involvement I spoke of. But not only is there a direct connection between fervent in spirit and service to God, there's a direct connection with that effectiveness. The fervency of the Spirit will always come through to be touching people around them. People will follow a leader who's going someplace. But if the person stops, they just mill around. We're no different in the kingdom of God. As the Spirit of God is leading you onward, you have a cause, you have a purpose, you have something to do. If you don't feel that within your heart, pretty soon you just begin to mill around. Had a friend who was a, a sheep farmer, a sheep rancher, didn't plant them, he raised them. <laughs> he had a thousand head of sheep. We used to go out and help him move them up the highway to the summer pastures, but the first time I went to see this man, his name was John, a thousand head of sheep are bedded down around his mobile home. They're there for the winter. So I walk up, knock on the door, we visit for a while, and he talks, we're talking about sheep in the book of John. He said, come out here, Pastor. So I walked out on the, on the front porch. He said, yell, yell something at the sheep. And so I yelled something and didn't bother them. They kept munching. He said, now watch. 
He called one word, and 1,000 heads popped up and turned to look at him. They knew his voice. See, fervent prayer, you begin to hear that voice of God. That voice speaking into your life with direction and purpose and, and things going on around you. And then you can lead the sheep. So how do we increase that passion or fervency in our heart? Well, the book of Jude said, Jude chapter 20, but you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Didn't put up there. <laughs> in 1 Corinthians 14, it says that he who speaketh in tongues edifies himself or builds himself up. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, Paul also wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Spending time with Jesus. Just spend time with him. And that, that fervency of your spirit will begin to increase. But then you have to look for opportunities of service. See, you knew there was a catch, right? When you're built up within your spirit, and that fervency begins to, de to develop within you, then find a place to do something. Involvement. Step up. And fill that need. If you can't think of anything right offhand, find Pastor Anthony and find Pastor Erica. They'll find a place for you. CR can find a place for you. Men's ministry can find a place for you. And I'm sure the WMs can always find a place for you. Women. But find a place. Fervency of spirit always goes with service. Now, the third way that word is used. Sorry about this thing keeps cutting out. That's strange. Fervent in love. First Peter chapter one, verse 22, it says, since you have purified your, your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now, this is the same Greek word that was used earlier. But it says, since you've purified your souls. This is speaking to believers. Strictly to believers. Since you've purified your soul, you've already repented of your sins. You've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But since you've done that, now go forward. Since you purified your souls, salvation makes a difference in that purity of heart, and it makes a difference in the fervency of your love. Your ability to love is increased because you have a new focus for your love, that relationship to Christ. God loved us enough he gave us his own son. But we didn't know that. Now, once we know that and we have him alive within us, that love should be so fervent returning to him. 
It should set us on fire, returning that same love back towards him. He says, in obeying the truth through the Spirit in the sincere love of the brethren. The only thing that proves our love for Christ, according to Scripture, is our obedience to him. In John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. I didn't write it, and I really don't think we can confuse that statement too much. If you love me, obey me. God takes us at our heart's cry. Will we repent of our sin? But the only thing that proves to the world who Jesus is, is in John 17, 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. What causes the world to believe is not how loud you preach or how big the Bible is you carry. What shows the world who Jesus is, is our love one for another and for the love of God. Think about that. The book of Colossians says, do good unto all men, especially to the household of the faith. Our best efforts are towards each other. And then we love the world as well with the love of Jesus Christ within us. But if we didn't love each other, if we don't treat each other within the body of Christ appropriately, what kind of a message does that send to the world? I've been in a lot of churches over the years. We traveled for almost 15 years as evangelists. Hundreds of churches. Some of those churches are so cold even the Holy Spirit had to put a sweater on. And some of those churches were so full of division and then wondered why the spirit couldn't move. But the churches where the love of Christ was so evident and people loved each other as they do here, it sent a message to the world around them who Jesus is. That fervency of love. Years ago, back about 1980, I read a book called Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness written by Pastor Jerry Cook. And he asked a question in that book. He said, is the church a field where a farmer goes out and he plants a crop and you harvest your crop and you bring it in and you go back and plant the field the next year? Or is the church a force that goes wherever it can, touching lives, and touching people, and touching their hearts. See, the church is a force. You are a force that goes out into this community, and the fervent love of Jesus Christ within you sends a message to this world that God's still alive, and that God is still doing something on the throne. So how do we love fervently? Well, unconditionally, God loved you unconditionally. You ever had anybody you've been witnessing to and you're telling them about Jesus, they said, well, when I get my act cleaned up, I'll come, and see, I'll come to church. They'll never come to church. They wait to get themselves cleaned up. Two reasons. One, they can't do it. And two, it's an excuse. But God loved us unconditionally. He takes me like I am. Now, he doesn't leave me that way 
He cleanses me. He cleans me. He sets my feet on something solid instead of sand. And I can walk with him and live with him. See, no strings attached. There's no strings attached with that unconditional love. Teenagers, young people, anybody comes to you and says, well, if you love me, you would. Just tell them to keep walking. (laughs) True love has no strings. And true love doesn't demand you prove it. That's called lust. Big difference between lust and love. Lust is all about me. Love is all about you. The Bible says to have an unconditional love. It's not about us. It's about us loving the lost and loving each other. True unconditional love has no expectations other than you're going to love them anyway. Sometimes you have to make that commitment that says no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter where you'd go, I'm going to love you anyway. And there's not one thing you can do about it. We first started traveling many years ago. My mother was doing our mail and suddenly one day I got this envelope in the mail that I was surprised wasn't singed around the edges. It said simply, I resigned from motherhood. Get somebody else to take care of your mail and don't even try to call me. I thought, that's an interesting phone call. I mean, letter from my mother. So I anointed myself and called her. (laughs) I said, I don't know what you're talking about and I love you. Now, if you want to hang up, go ahead. And so the conversation went kind of like this, but you did it. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I love you. I wanted that to be the last thing she ever heard out of my mouth if she was going to hang up. It took about 20 minutes to figure out what she was talking about. It had nothing to do with me. But I made a commitment to love her anyway. Sometimes people around you, you have to make that commitment and it's not easy. Now let me ask you a simple question. Now be honest with yourself. Because everybody else is. How many of you are lovable and easy to love? (laughs) Now everybody go, can't me. No, no, wrong answer. (laughs) Because regardless, sometimes we're just not lovable, are we? But God is faithful to love us anyway. And we must be fervent in love to love those around us the same way. To allow that fervency to come through their lives because of what Jesus has done for you. Now, there's a fourth time. In Luke chapter 22, he describes this word without using the word fervent. And yet he does in some translations. Luke 22, talking about the Last Supper. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, some translations have left that fervent desire out of there. But I think it belongs there. 
with a fervent desire, an intense longing that everything within him wanted to be with his disciples for this supper, for this time. See, I believe God appoints times. In the Old Testament, you have the story of of Esther. And if you read that story, you'll find it comes down to a point where Mordecai, her uncle, says, how do you know you're not in the kingdom of God for this moment? Or in the kingdom for this moment? Friends, I believe that God appoints times. But this is one of those times that Christ had a fervent desire, a passionate desire, a cry in his heart that says, I need to be with you. With fervent desire, I have desired. I think he's trying to tell us something. Anytime something's repeated in the scripture, pay attention to it. There are times the exact same thing is said. Because we didn't learn it the first time. But pay attention to what's repeated. See, it led him from the table to the cross. This fervent desire that was within him, he said, with a fervent desire, I desire to be with you before I go suffer. Christ knew what was coming. It did not take him by surprise. He knew he was going to lay down his life And he believed his father could pick him up. But it led him all the way from that table, eating with his disciples, to the garden and to the cross. So how great is your desire to worship? I knew a gentleman who did not like worship. Never did figure out exactly why, but I said, you know, you're going to feel a little strange when you get to heaven because that's what you're going to be doing. Sometimes people treat worship like a a filler of some kind. I know people that will stay home or some people stay in the foyer till worship's over. Uh, Is that you? I don't know. I didn't go out there and look, okay? And then they come in for the preaching of the word. I believe in the word of God. I've been preaching the word of God for almost five decades. God is faithful to his word. But worship sets our hearts. When you begin to open your heart and worship, you open your heart that the word of God can come in. See, we have to allow that worship to bring us together with God's people. Churches are very lonely places when you're all by yourself in here. Churches are very hollow sounding until you're in here. Because you join together in worship. And allow God to touch you as only he wants to. See, we have to allow God to stir us up. To rekindle that flame in our own lives. If there's one message that goes from the first first chapter of Acts to the very end. It's that fervency of heart. It drove them 
You know, think about Paul. Here's a simple sermon outline if you ever need to do this. Every place that Paul went, he either had a revival or a riot. (laughs) So see, you can go develop a sermon off of that one. Why? Because his life was so on fire, what God was doing, people had to react to it. The other disciples were the same way. Every place they went, something took place. Friends, that should be the norm for you and I. That fervency of heart, fervency of prayer, fervency of service. It's not enough to see the fervency in somebody else. I remember I'd only been saved about a week or two weeks and walked into church one night. And I was really excited about what Jesus was doing, you know. And I heard a dear old saint of God says, it's okay, he'll cool off. I still bit my tongue and didn't say anything. But what I thought in my heart was, I hope I don't. And yet the fact of life over a period of time, you are going to be cooled off a little. But it can be rekindled. To begin to move again within your heart. The message to the church in Revelation, uh, the Ephesians church, he said, you're doing this and this and this and that's good, but I got something against you. You've left your first love. Do again the first things. Let me put it this way. Stir up the ashes. Build the fire back. Cause it to flame brightly that those around you can see who Jesus is by simply who you are. And then I come back to the book of Luke. Chapter 10. It says, so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's fervency of heart. That fervent spirit, that fervent in prayer, the fervent in doing those things around you, that fervent love, it comes from this. When you're loving the Lord your God with everything within you, with everything you are, the fire begins to burn brightly. Scott, if you'd come, please, and help me. See, fervency, again, like I said, you you see it portrayed in every chapter in Acts. It needs to be portrayed in every street of Red Bluff. It needs to be seen in every life. As you go from this place, that fervency should burn from you. And so he said, well, I'm getting too old. Are you still alive? (laughs) Check your pulse, make sure. But if you're still alive, then that fervency needs to be stirred up in you. The greatest testimonies that I have ever heard, and I've heard some remarkable ones, were not about drug addiction and deliverances. I've been able to listen to Nikki Cruz and David Wilkerson's and and listening to their testimonies and talking with those gentlemen. But the greatest testimony is the power of God to keep you. 
I knew a lady who was 82 years old and been saved since she was 16, I think it was. And she stood up and said, I don't have much of a testimony. I said, hold everything. You've been serving God and he's kept you longer than I've been alive at that time. <laughs> but that's what's missing. She began to weep and she said, I never thought about that. But friends, there is a fervent spirit that needs to be kindled up in you. It needs to be stirred up in you to the point where all around you can see it, as he did in the book of Acts. Stand with me, please. We're going to go to these altars in just a few moments. The first thing, of course, is salvation. If you don't comprehend what this message is about, you need Jesus. If that fervency in your heart has never been there, you need Jesus and find a place and let somebody pray with you this morning. Very simple, you ask Christ to forgive you of your sin. He lives in you. And your life is no longer the same. If you've grown cold, well, remember how you once were. Remember that excitement that you lived every day? What's God gonna do today? What's he gonna do in my life? What's going to happen today? Recapture that passion. Now, if you are fervent today, allow God to search your heart and find a place of service that that fervency goes out of you and accomplishes something. So let's find places around these altars and let's seek God this morning. Allow him to bring salvation to you. Allow him to rekindle that spirit. Let's worship God and come to these altars. Thank you, Jesus. I'll close in prayer in a few moments. Thank you, Jesus. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. Restore every heart that is broken. Restore us, Lord. You give life. Love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord, your breath, Lord, it's your breath.
and worship the Lord. Just give him a praise this morning. Cry out to him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, O Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for what you do, God, for who you have touched us, O God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you in this place, O oh God. Lord, we thank you for what you are doing within us. We thank you, God, for what you're doing through us. And God, we thank you 
because we know that this community cannot remain the same, but is going to know Jesus. Lord, we ask your blessing upon every church in this community, God, who preaches your name. Because God, they can take people we cannot ever touch, but they will. But Lord, in this place, I pray that your anointing, God, would rest upon each of this congregation. Your anointing is not just for pastors. Your anointing, God, is to go with us into a world around us. And Father, may the fervency of our hearts be seen. Father, as we go our separate ways, oh God, may the words uh, fervent burn within our memory all week. God, may it awaken us at night fervent. God, what are you doing in us? And God, may we walk the way you intend. Father, we thank you for those that are here. We thank you for those who have joined us, oh God. And Lord, may you bless their lives. And God, may you bless these who have taken the time to worship you this day. And we thank you in Jesus' name. If you want to spend some time around these altars, they're always open. And God bless you.